Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, Greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Greetings. God's been good to us. Amen. He loves us. He cares for us. Amen. And all the little things that come into our lives and out of our lives and through our lives are brought there by who? They're brought there by Him. You know, it might sound a little bit funny, but while... While we were singing that song, I was thinking of Little House on the Prairie. And Little House on the Prairie, you guys, anybody ever heard of Little House on the Prairie? Uh, it has a set of characters in it. And the characters in that story are kind of, uh, they're kind of a picture of the world around us. You have... Uh, the Ingalls family, which is kind of the center of what's good and right, right? Okay? And when it all comes down to it, Mr. Ingalls, he's going to know what's right, right? And you have the explorer in the world, little Laura, you know, she's running around out there in the world. And then you have the antagonist, the Nellie Olsons, right? You got Nellie Olson and her parents, you know, they spoil her and they own the store and they've got the money, right? You, got, you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And you might think, what does this have to do with worship? Well, it has to do with what we're going to be talking about today, and is that we are all in a great story, every one of us. And sometimes it's good to reflect and think on what role am I playing in the story? Am I Nellie Olson, or am I Nellie Olson's mom and dad? Or am I an Ingalls? Am I Laura? Am I out there just trying to figure it all out? Who am I in the story? And God is telling this story. Amen? And He's going to tell the story with our lives. And when we make the right decisions, you know, we're probably going to be more like the characters we'd like to read about. And I really think that that's part of what Scripture inspires us to do is, is look into the, the, the Bible says we're to look into the Word of God like a mirror and say, who am I? What role am I playing? Who, who am I? In Psalm 22, David tells a story that amazingly enough, he sings about something that never happened to him. Are you familiar with Psalm 22? It's a psalm that is a prophecy about the coming crucifixion of the Messiah, yet David sings 
as though it happened to him, but it did not. Nobody ever that we know of in Scripture ever took David and took all of his stuff and beat him and, and basically and killed him, right? But yet that's what he sings about in this story. He doesn't understand. Now, this may relate to, to something that's going on or it may be for him be hyperbole for how he's been mistreated and he's been wrongfully accused and how his enemies would like to do this to him, right? But unwittingly, David was doing what? He was singing about something that was going to happen and he was singing with great detail. He says the words that Christ said on the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime because thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent, but thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou did deliver them. They cried unto thee, and they were delivered, and they trusted in thee, and they were not confounded, but I am a worm. And no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh at me to scorn, and they shoot out their lip, and they shake their head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing that he delighted in him. See this taunting? I thought, I thought, I thought he served the God of heaven. I thought God delivers his people. Isn't God going to deliver him? That's their mocking him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb, and thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round about. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening, ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint, and my heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. These are very, very specific prophecies of how Christ's heart would break, how hanging on the cross His joints would be dislodged as He hang there. My strength dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaved to my jaws. Remember Christ was thirsty? Dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked, they have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Was David crucified? Crucifixion wasn't even invented a thousand years before crucifixion was ever used. I may tell all of my bones, and they that stare upon me, they part my garments among them, and they cast lots for my vesture. But thou art not far from me, O Lord. O my strength, haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. I will declare thy name unto thy brethren in the midst of the congregation. I will praise thee yet that fear the Lord, praise Him. All the seed of Israel, glorify Him and fear Him. All ye seed of Jacob. For He hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither hath He hid His face from Him. But when He cried unto Him, He heard, My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation, and I will pay my vows before them that fear Him. 
The meek shall eat and be satisfied, and they shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nation shall be worshipped before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. They that be fat upon the earth shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow before him, and none can keep alive his own soul. A seed shall serve him, and it shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he hath done this. Let us pray. Lord, we come before you today so thankful, Lord, that our lives are not arbitrary and, and pointless, but that you have purposed everything according to your will that you direct our paths, Lord, that you care about the details of our life and the things that seem insignificant to others. Lord, you look on. We pray today as we come before you that you would fill us, Lord, because we are hungry today, hungering and thirsting after righteousness. We pray, Lord, that as you forgive our sins, that you would change us as we are in your presence, that you would sanctify us, that you would cleanse us, that you would bring us to a life of holiness, that we might serve you and bring glory to you like a light in a city set upon a hill, like salt and light. Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said... standing for just a moment as I read for you my short text from John chapter 19 verses 23 and 24 John 19 verses 23 and 24 then the soldiers when they had crucified Jesus took his garments and made four parts to every soldier a part and also his coat now the coat was without seam woven from the top throughout. They said therefore among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture did cast lots. These things therefore the soldiers did. Let us pray. Lord, I pray today, Lord, that you would illuminate your word Lord, for us, it can be dark and mysterious and hard for us to understand, but I pray that you would light it up, that we would see what in your word is meant for us, how that it might affect us and change us and, and draw us nearer to you. And so we pray for these things in Jesus' name. And all the church said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Since I was young, I've been kind of a person who doesn't like to uh, know anything about a movie that I am going to see. A preview can ruin it for me. Someone talking about it can, you know, I like 
I like to watch a story unfold. Does anybody like to watch a story unfold? And then there's usually that story, that, that moment in the story where something goes boom, and you're just like, wow, you know, kind of a thing. And so growing up, I was around a lot of people who were very good preachers. And uh, so they would talk, and they would be preaching, and it would be good. But there would be a certain moment when they would drop the bomb, they called it. And, and they would drop, and, and people would go, wow, I can't believe they just tied it all together, you know, with that, with that thing. Since I've come to um, believe a little bit differently, I think maybe my preaching style is changing, and I hope that it changes. And today, uh, I'm not going to drop a bomb on any of you. Uh, there's been something in me that wants to be, you know, what will happen is I'll weave this thing that I've written, Jonathan, and it'll all be great, and I'll be ready to drop the bomb. And that's when, you know, Nora drops her sippy cup, and you bend down to pick it up, and, you know, Christy takes uh, her daughter to the bathroom, and you know what I'm saying, and then Andy uh, realizes that the crock pot, you know, breaker just blew, you know, and then I watch as everybody misses the whole thing, and then later on I ask what I preached about, and they're like, I don't know, it was, but it was really good at parts, but I was kind of dealing with kids, and I missed the whole thing, okay, so, so, and we're not, so I'm going to move away from that methodology, okay, and so I'm going to tell you what I'm going to preach about. I'm going to preach about what I'm going to preach about. And then I'm going to explain to you what I just preached to you about. So that you get it. Okay? Because that's the point, right? Alright. So my sermon today is called Seamless. And the reason it's called Seamless is there is a fact that's included in the Scripture here that is very odd. And it's in there, and I, and I think that God doesn't put things in His Word for no reason at all. He puts them there for a reason. Amen? Now, I'm not exactly sure what the, the point that the Holy Spirit was making when He included this detail, but there is a detail, and uh, where's Hannah at? She might get this. If I told you, and I know she's working on some outfits, some costumes for some people for some fun things, but if I said, I need you to make a seamless robe, you know, you'd be like, well, I don't know that my sewing machine can do that, right? Can't do that with a sewing machine. You cannot make a seamless robe. But in part of a story, which we will get to here in a little bit, Jesus is wearing a robe that is seamless, that starts to be woven at the neck. And, I mean, the Bible's even specific how it was made. It's woven at the top, and it, it is seamless all the way down to the bottom. But one of the things that began to be clear to me that the Bible was teaching is that the story that God is telling the world is seamless. It's not disconnected. It can't be taken out in parts. But it needs to be understood as a whole. There is one story that God is telling, and that story is the story of redemption. Amen? And so as we get into this, we're going to talk about this event in the life of Jesus, the parting of the garments, and the casting of the lots for His vesture. What the soldiers did here is one of those narratives covered by Matthew, covered by Mark, covered by Luke, and covered by John. It seems very insignificant, but... It wasn't. If it were, it wouldn't have been included by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Amen? It seems like something so silly, like what they did with the clothes of the Savior 
as he was dying on the cross. What these scallywags, these minions of the devil did with Jesus' clothes. Why would it matter? But it does. Within these seemingly unimportant details, in these tender moments, these hopeless moments, at least three truths that I never tire of talking about shine bright. You want to know what they are? The first is that God cares about most all. God cares about all of the events in our lives. Things that seem insignificant to us. Things that seem unimportant to us. Like the butterfly that I hit in my, with my car on the way to church. Or the sparrow that fell in the yard. Or the hair that came out in my comb. It may be somewhat silly to you, but the Bible says that God numbers the hairs on our heads. Amen? That He notices when a sparrow falls to the ground. That God knows when there's an animal that's hungry in the world. God cares. Secondly, that God is not surprised by anything that happens because He is the author of this seamless story that is being told. God is in charge. Jesus was not taken. He gave Himself. What happened to Jesus was not worked into the plan somehow. It was part of the plan from the very beginning from the smallest detail on. And the third is that not only is this true of the story of Jesus, it's true of your story. It's true of my story. Amen? Those are some pretty important things to remember. You know, when you're in the middle of something that seems to not make sense, that seems to be unpleasant, that seems to confuse you, what you can be assured of today is that God is not scratching His head wondering that God put that right there in your life. You might look at it and say, oh, this is horrible. This is difficult. This is gross. This is, this is unimaginable. Why could, how could this possibly be something good that God could work into my life. So let's set the stage. As we take a closer look at John chapter 19, before we read it again, let me use some words from Matthew's Gospel to set the scene for what is going on. If you remember that they had come for Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was there in the Olive Press, there at the base of the Mount of Olives, undergoing a great deal of temptation. The Jewish high priest Caiaphas had sent a mob with weapons and torches and lanterns like they were attacking the monster that he was not, but that they feared that he was. They took him from his prayers with sweat and blood from the agony still on his face and they brought him to the house of Annas and then to the house of his son-in-law Caiaphas and then to the Roman prefect of Judea, Pontius Pilate. While Peter was denying Jesus over and over three times, Pilate refused to deny his innocence. It was no mistake that Pilate affirmed him three times and, and Peter had denied him three times. And that written over his head three times was Jesus, King of the Jews. Jesus was undeniably perfect and He was undeniably sinless and He was undeniably the Son of God. Amen? In the end, Pilate refused to change what had been written three times, the affirmations that he was the Son of God. And he said, leave it be. I've written what I've written. It's not that he said he was. It says Jesus was the Son of God. They took him then to the Praetorian Hall. It's amazing to me that they we even know the name of the place, but it's a, a, a hall for the elite guards of the Roman 
uh, Empire here. They take him to the Praetorian Hall, the Roman Hall of Judgment, and there they beat Jesus with a whip. This was the beginning of the many painful things that our Lord endured at their hands. I have written as a heading up here, which it's kind of macabre, really. Party of four. Kind of like at a restaurant, you know, party of four. Do you know that there were four men that did all of these things? Four men that whipped him, that mocked him, that hurt him, that did all of these things. Four men. We don't know their names. We don't know who they were. But we will see clearly in Matthew what they did, that these minions of Pilate were used really like the minions of Satan himself as they begin to put on what seemed to be very, very funny to them, but was sick and disturbed and strange. Obviously bar marred by the callousness that their work had given them of torturing and executing criminals, these four men made a game of what they did to our Lord. Here the novelty and uniqueness of the charges against Jesus excited and inspired their devilish taunts. Shamelessly, they stripped him of his own humble garments and they threw over his shoulders a robe that mocked his royalty. I would say picture this, but it's really hard. We really don't want to picture it, do we? Covered in blood. His face, no doubt, downcast. Flesh hanging off the back of his body. Now he's naked. How humiliating. For our Lord. They no doubt laughed at the brilliant strategy. Oh, he thinks he's a king. Let's put a royal robe on his back and let's make fun of this king who thinks he's a king. Perhaps punctuating his coronation with a harsh push upon his head. Wham! They've woven a crown of thorns. Oh, this is a great idea. We'll put a crown on him. We'll put this robe on his back. Oh, you know what we'll do next? We're going to take and we're going to put a reed in his hand like a scepter of power. He'll be there with a crown on his head and a robe on his back and a scepter in his hand. And they took the scepter out of his hand and hit him in the head with it. Can you imagine this kind of cruelty that they were having fun with? And they were. When that was not enough of a farce. They fell at His feet and all oh, hail King Jesus of the Jews! And they spit on Him. And they ripped out His beard. And they cursed Him. And they said things like the psalmist said they would say. He saved others. Can he not save himself? This is how it's described in Matthew 27. The soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall. They gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers and they stripped him. They put on him a scarlet robe and when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it on his head. Do you think they just put it on his head? A reed they put in his right hand and they bowed their knee and they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and they took the reed and smote him on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took the robe off of him and put his own clothes back on and they led him away to crucify them. 
What a horrible and humiliating scene. How painful it must have been for him and how painful it must have been for those who loved him to watch. Could you imagine this? Could you imagine anyone you love having to watch this happen to them? Sometimes when I want to get into understanding the Scripture, I will picture somebody I love. I'll picture my son Benjamin. He'll be there or Nathaniel and they'll be mocking him and spitting on him and mistreating him. And I imagine what it would be like if I had to watch it. Can you imagine it? It must have been horribly painful looking into the faces of those people who were watching it happen. I think it pained the Lord Himself. If it were happening to me, I imagine and I saw that Luke was crying and he was hurt. Watching them treat me like this, it would hurt me inside going, oh... Why does he have to see this? Naked and bleeding, spit running down his face, patches of hair missing from his beard, his mock crown showering blood down his face. It would have been painful for it to happen. It would have been painful to see. The women were crying. John was there. Yet these four unnamed soldiers did nothing more then fulfill many of the prophecies written by Isaiah and David of the Messiah. I won't be able to demonstrate it or lay out a grid for you this morning, but I am very confident in saying that there are no more, there's no one in the New Testament other than Jesus Himself that fulfilled more Old Testament Scriptures than these four unnamed soldiers. I mean, we know John the Baptist, right? The spirit of one crying in the wilderness make way the, the path of the Lord, right? We know that's going to be John the Baptist. He was prophesied of. We know they prophesied of Jesus Himself, right? But they also prophesy of what some people would do to Him. And as we get into it, you will see that what was done to Him was done by these four men. In Isaiah 53, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. These four men despised him. They treated him with great contempt. It's not enough to put him to death. Let's make fun of him in the process. Let's humiliate him in the process. Let's mock him in the process. He, they despised him. Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Although it was by these four Roman soldiers, it was by their hands. They did it, but yet it was, as the Scripture says, it was the hands of God. As we back up, it says, He carried our sorrows and we esteemed Him stricken, smitten of who? Of God. He was stricken, smitten, and afflicted of God. Yet, we know who it was that was striking Him. Who was afflicting Him. Who was smiting Him on His face. It was who, Luke? It was these Roman soldiers who we don't know. Isaiah 53.5 says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And by... His stripes, we are healed. These four men struck the blows that wounded Him. Amen? And He was wounded. Why? For our transgressions. Who did the wounding? 
They did. He was bruised when they took their fists and they slammed him in the face. You don't get a bruise from a slap. You don't get a bruise from a whip. You get a bruise from a hard blow. They bruised him. Boom! For our iniquities. Do you think they had any idea when they were laughing, when they were spitting, when they were hitting, that they were doing something that God wanted done? Do you think anyone who saw it, even Jesus Himself at the time, I don't know what He fully... He knew what was happening to Him. He saw it, and He was probably thinking of the Scriptures as they bruised Him. Boom! He was probably thinking as they, they, they whacked Him with the whip, the stripes. He was thinking of Isaiah 53. By His stripes we were healed. Who laid the stripes? Who gave the bruises? Who wounded Him? The burning agony inflicted by these men, though, was not pointless. They were for our healing. Can you believe God used these callous, nasty, mocking, evil men to make the stripes that bring our healing? I think it's a marvelous thing. People of God, if we can see the hand of God in every pain, every trial that is sent our way, sent to do in our lives what must be done so the work that He's given us to do can be done, I think we could bear it so much better, don't you? But instead we rail against God. We rail against this situation. We say, oh, what point could this be? This difficulty, this thing in my life, why is it there? And God is saying, it's there because I brought it to your life. This difficulty is there because it was necessary in the story that I'm telling of your life for it to be there. It is part of the seamless story that I am telling. Don't you think we could bear our afflictions much better if we saw them that way? It was Spurgeon once who said, he said, when I suffer and I'm sick, he said, I realize that this sickness has come because of the will of God, and so because of it, I bear it in a way that I could never bear. Wasn't it Job that said, we receive good from the hand of the Lord, shall we not receive evil also? He's saying, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We love to know that the Lord gives, but to know that He takes away is difficult for us. But in all that was happened to Job, it says he did not sin against the Lord and foolishly accuse Him, right? The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When he lost what he had, he shaved his head and he worshipped God. Isaiah 53, 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of, his all, of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shears is dumb. And he opened not his mouth. It is amazing to me that the sacrifice for your sins and the sacrifice for my sins and the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world were brought about by four evil men. They were the high priests that offered the sacrifice for us. We know they were sent by Caiaphas. They were urged by him. And so unwittingly, the man that wanted to kill Jesus was literally 
acting as the high priest to offer Jesus for the sins of the world. Isn't this an amazing thing? How that God does. The man who hated Him most offered up the sacrifice for the sins of the world. The men who mocked Him most were those that pierced His hands and pierced His feet and crucified Him. And we sing about the old rugged cross. But we don't sing about the men who did it to Him. And yet they fulfilled God's will. His sacrifice was for us. It was set in motion by the high priest Caiaphas. Even though they despised and rejected Him, still unwittingly they, the leaders of God's people in the Jewish church then, sent the Lamb to atone for all of our sins. It was by the hands of these Roman soldiers the sacrifice was then offered to God. Verse 8, He was taken from prison in judgment. Even that, they, they took Him from. Where did they take Him from? Judgment. They took Him from the judgment hall, the Praetorian Hall. Every detail of this psalmist that he sang, he had no idea what God was doing. Who shall declare His generation? For He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of My people was He stricken. Every time I read a word like that, I picture, boom! I picture smack! I picture the reed whacking on His head. And you might go, oh, don't do that. And I'm, but I'm telling you, it says, for the transgression of My people, Jesus was stricken. Every blow of these cruel men was a stroke toward our salvation. God used these sinners as priests in this offering. He made His grave with the wicked and with the rich in His death because He had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in His mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise Him. I was saying this to my wife in the car. I don't even like even saying these things. It pleased the Lord to bruise Him. Read it for yourself, Isaiah 53.10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed and prolong his days And the pleasure of the Lord. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his land. These horrible blows of mockery which we can only see with disgust his grief, which we gladly turn our faces from, was the offering being made for our sins. These things, as horrible as they seem to us, and we read about them from the Gospel writers, was the will of God. How many of you have met people say, and some bad thing happens, Ryan, and they go, this is not right. And you say, it's the will of God. How can anything good come from something so bad? How indeed. But it did. If Christ had not been offered, if He had not been stricken, stricken, smitten, afflicted of God, if He had not been wounded, then what? Then we would still be in our sins. It was the cup offered to the Lord Jesus in the garden. He was tempted not to drink. He recoiled from its bitterness. Yet it was the way for salvation. There was no other way. As Jesus said, if there be some other way, let this cup pass from me, right? Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. What was he talking about? What will? The will for him to be bruised and afflicted and smitten and despised and mocked and shamed. You see, Jesus was made naked, Luke, so that we could have clothes, the clothes of righteousness. He was made poor that we might become what? Become rich. That's what the Bible says. For in order for us to become rich, in order for us to have clothes of righteousness, His clothes had to be stripped from His body. 
God has brought us to these places and He will lead us out again with treasure beyond comprehension if we understand that God is at work to have His holy will in our lives. Verse 11, He shall see the travail of His soul and shall be satisfied by His knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many for He shall bear their iniquities. God was satisfied by the travail of Jesus. Therefore will I divide Him a portion with the great and He shall divide the spoil with the strong because He hath poured out His soul unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. He bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Way back, way back in Isaiah, Jason, Jesus was foretold that not only would they hurt Him, not only would they afflict Him, not only would they smite Him, not only would they do these things, but that He would intercede for them. We would never have the beautiful words, Benita, of Father, forgive them, for they know what they do if them didn't exist. And you know who they were, don't you? They were the four nameless soldiers who pierced His hands, who made fun of Him, and who hurt Him. But yet, what were they doing, Nevaeh? They were fulfilling the will of God. Isn't this hard, Steve? But it is what God does in our own lives. And what we do is we get back and we, we deny it. We falsely accuse God. We complain. And we fail to see that God's intentions in our life are for our good. Because all things, everybody say all things. All things work together for our good. To them that love God and are the called according to our purpose. I know many of you have suffered Many of you have been pained and hurt. You've been abused. You've, you've had grief. Your life is difficult. And you go, oh, how can it be? How can it be that God could bring anything good from such horrible things? But we see it right here. Do we not? We see it. Let me read John 19, 23 and 24 again. The soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, they took His garments and they made four parts to every soldier apart. This is how we know there were how many soldiers? There were four. Also His coat. And I'll tell you, coat's not the best word. Tyndale did great in his translation, but not with coat. For it wasn't a coat at all. It was an article of clothing that most likely was worn underneath all his other clothes. It was what they called a tunic. It, without seam, woven from the top throughout, it says here. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it. Who, who shall it be that the Scripture might be fulfilled? Everybody say, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Here they were, Steve. They didn't even know what they were doing. You know what they were doing? If they, if they knew their Bibles, they wouldn't have done it, right? If they knew their Bibles, they would have said, oh, well, we can't part part of it and then cast lots for the other part. That would be making these guys think that this is the Messiah. But yet, I was telling some before the service, you know, there are, there are things in Scripture that are so precise and so detailed that it makes them undeniable. It prophesied in the Old Testament that the Messiah would come in. That He would ride into Jerusalem as the King. And that He would ride on a colt that no one had ever ridden on. A colt, the foal of an ass. Do you guys remember this? We preached about this. And so when Jesus came in riding on a colt that had never been ridden, and it had its mother with it, 
And he came in the gate that the kings rode in. That's why the people went, whoa! This is what we read about. It's happening right here before our very eyes. Here he comes! And they begin to lay down palm branches and they begin to worship because they recognize this very, very specific thing. You could have said in general, always oh, going to ride in on a horse, you know. But that's not what it says. It's always oh, going to ride on a colt, the foal of an ass. He's going to come. And, the, you know, and that's what happened. And so they said, oh, you could have said, of course, when you kill a guy, they take away his stuff. But God puts in this detail. They parted it. And they cast lots. That's not a likely thing, Derek. Right? Why would they do both of those things? That doesn't make any sense. But... It was prophesied that it might be fulfilled, which says they parted my raiment among them, and my vesture did they cast lots. I love this line. In fact, this should be the, this should be the title of my sermon. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. <laughs> do you understand? They did them because it said they would do them. It did them because it was the will of God. It did the, he, they did them because they were fulfilling Scripture. They were the ones fulfilling, stricken, smitten, afflicted, despised, mocked, made fun of, bruised. The details listed here are truly amazing. The exact number of the soldiers, the precise way they divided some of his clothing, details of one of the garments which was, and uh, even how it was woven. Every word of God is planned. It has purpose. It has connected seamlessly into His plan and the story of redemption. And so is what goes on in our lives too. Every action planned and executed for God's purpose, predestined for the greatness of His plan, woven into one seamless creation to tell the beautiful story of man's redemption. Like Joseph who was separated from his family, sold into slavery, falsely accused, imprisoned and seemingly abandoned, Joseph came to understand what was too painful to comprehend as good. It was God's plan from the very beginning. Here you have this good boy. So, I mean, could you imagine being sold by... Come on, Sarah, imagine it. Your brothers and sisters sell you. They throw you in a pit. And then you're sold into slavery by some guy... Right? You're falsely accused, you're mistreated, and you're then thrown into prison year after year goes by. Right? Can you even comprehend this? I don't think he understood it. I think in the darkness, he said, I'm just going to do my best. I've been forgotten, I've been rejected, I've been thrown out, I've been mistreated. Oh, I bet he missed his dad. His memory of his brothers. You know, he'd had some good memories. Do you think they were good anymore? But then when God elevated him and put him in the place of power, he says, oh, I get it. I understand now why God did this to me. And all of those things that were horrible and nasty was the road to saving his own family. When confronted with this great and powerful truth and seeing how God's plan had come together in one seamless story, his brother's not seeing the picture of it all. He says, fear not, right? 
For I am. For am I in the place of God? But as for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it for good. Do you know some of the bad things you think and do even to your brothers and sisters in Christ here? Do you know some of you can't get over that? How many? Come on, you know, you don't have to raise your hands. I've done some pretty bad things. I've. Joseph was saying, get over it. It was part of God's plan. It's all right. Amen? Sometimes we have a hard time forgiving ourselves when we let other people down, when we do things that we're ashamed of, right? God hasn't called us to perfection and sinlessness. There's, a, there's one man who did that. He did it for us. Amen? He became naked that we could wear His robes of righteousness. We don't come into this building with no, nothing to feel guilty for. But we can come in and we can go, you know what? Wow. You know, when we sold you into slavery, Joseph, we were doing God's will. We didn't know it at the time. We were motivated by our own greed and our own jealousy. But you know, God did this to us. God brought this about in our lives. You thought evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. And now therefore fear not, I will nourish you and your little ones. The children of Israel would have died of a famine in the wilderness had not this happened to Joseph. He was, he was picturing what? He was picturing the suffering that Christ would have to go to. The, the difficulty, the humiliation, the loss. You remember Mordecai? He hoped against hope and the darkness he saw coming his way like storm clouds of destruction. His enemies hated him and wanted to destroy all of the people of Israel and they were on their way to doing it. There was even a law passed that they would all be killed, right? The die was cast. The history, Their history was sealed. There was nothing that could be done about it. But by faith, he looked beyond the black thunderclouds knowing that the Son of God's goodness and righteousness still shone above it. And by faith he says something to Esther here. He says, Think not thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holds your peace at this time, there shall an enlargement and deliverance arise from the Jews from some other place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And then by faith he says, But who knows, Esther? Maybe God has put you right here in the story for this very moment in time. You're here, Esther. You're the only one that can do something. Mordecai was like, God's at work here. We're God's people. I don't know how it's going to happen, but maybe you're here for this. You ever think, Andy, that maybe God has you right there for something? Oh, He does. Then Esther bade them to return to Mordecai this answer. Go gather the Jews that are present. It's time to fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days. She's asking the Jews. I'm scared. We need God. Salvation's got to come. It's got to come some way. My maidens will fast and so will I. And then I will go to the king which is not according to the law. And I love these words. She says, and if I perish, I perish. Do we ever live like maybe things depend on us? 
that the decisions we make, when we do what is right, when we take a chance, if I die, I die. Mordecai's faith inspired Esther and her fear melted into resolve. If I perish, I perish. People of God, we live each day the same way, looking for and hoping for the plan of God. For the plan of God is not far from us. We are God's people. His plan will be accomplished through us. Which of us will be the one in the story who accomplished it? I don't know. I want it to be me. I want to be the guy that says, if I die, I die. I'm going to do it anyway. That says, you know what? Oh, King, you know what? God could save us from the fiery furnace, but if He doesn't, I'm not going to bow down. I want to be the Daniel that goes to my room and prays and says, God sees me, and yeah, they see me, but I don't really care because I love my God. And the God that saved the, the people out of, uh, of Egypt will save me out of the pit of lions when they throw me down there in the den of lions and God stops the mouth of the lions and we're still talking about it this day. Because what did He do? He just did what He had done every day. He refused to stop doing God's will. These four soldiers were fulfilling Psalm 22. We read it earlier. They felt very powerful that day. They were playing a role though. A role that had been chosen for them by God. They played their parts perfectly as if they had read the script down to the last detail. Motivated by great and callousness, they parted his clothing among themselves and cast lot not to destroy the seamless tunic that he wore. We don't know why there were four soldiers, perhaps to represent the four Gospels that tell Christ's story or the four directions of the compass, north, south, east, and west that shows he was compassed about by dogs. I don't know. We don't know why his tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from the top down. Perhaps because the same type of garment it's the same garment the high priest wore because it was, Jeff. God designed the high priest to wear a tunic, a seamless tunic woven from the top down. And of course, we know Jesus is our what? He's our high priest. Perhaps it was that. But what we do know is that every detail says something. Every word spoken in action recorded as meaning meaning we will one day fully comprehend if we don't right now. For now, we see through a glass darkly, but one day we'll know. It was as if those soldiers had read Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 and were working their way very hard to get all of the parts in. But instead, we understand that they were just start of, part of a story written before the foundation of the earth. Their part was settled in heaven long ago. They were part of the seamless story of redemption and so are we. Every little thing in our lives ties together seamlessly into one story that God is telling. I'll end as I walk through Psalm 22. They that see me shall laugh me to scorn. They were laughing. They shall shoot out their lips and they shall shake their head. 
they did these things. He trusted on the Lord that He would deliver and let Him deliver them. Seeing He delighted in the Lord and they said these things. Thou art He that took me out of the womb and didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon Thee from the womb. Thou art my God from Thy mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. No one tried to stop the crucifixion. Many bulls have compassed me. That means many strong. These soldiers were no sissies. They were the bulls. They have beset me round about. They gaped upon me with their mouths. Can you picture them doing it? As a ravening and roaring lion. Can you imagine how they taunted, how they yelled, how they made fun of him? That's what they did. I'm poured out like water. My bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws, and thou brought me into the dust of death. That's what they did. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, and they pierced my hands and my feet. Folks, this is written a thousand years before it happened. Those soldiers were the dogs that compassed Jesus about. They were among the assembly of the wicked. They were those who pierced His hands and feet. Roman crucifixion would not be invented for hundreds and hundreds of years later as David wrote these words. He could have no idea what they even meant as he wrote them. I may tell all of my bones, they look and they stare on me. Those men stared on Him. They part my garments among them and they cast lots on my vesture. In the words of John and the ones I said that might actually make a better title is, this is what the soldiers did. Do you know what's happening in your life right now is what's already been written by God that will happen. This is what Steve Foise did. This is what's going to be said one day when, you're, when it's all laid out. This is what he did. What are you going to do? What are you going to do with your life? Are you going to give it to God unreservedly? Are you going to be in the place where you say, I want to do the will of God? Or are you going to play your life away, running around entertaining yourself like the world? Are you going to live for the kingdom of God? Is your life going to be about doing whatever thing that you like to do and entertaining yourself and finding something to keep yourself busy because you're bored? Or are you going to say, oh God, what is there to do? I remember one of the most powerful things that ever happened to me in Myanmar was, uh, was understanding that person after person that I met that had volunteered for no pay for five and six and seven years of their life, day in and day out, with hardly food to eat, were doing it not to earn their salvation, but to say, thank you, God, for saving me. And I think... Do we have this kind of gratitude? Do we live our lives? Or are we just glad our lives are comfortable and fun and, and we just got nice things to do? Or are we going to be the ones? I mean, we hear the story. You can make fun of Mother Teresa. You can say she's a Catholic, but she went to Calcutta. If you, if, if you want to not make fun of her story, you should read it because it's powerful. She might have done it for I don't know why she did what she did, but her story is out there. 
She went to the hospitals where people were dying and she just said, we want to be with them and when the moments that they die, we want them to feel loved. We're not trying to save them. We're not trying to fix them. We're not trying to grow our church numbers. But we want to sit alongside them as they die. That's what her life was about. Have there not been people that have poured their lives out for you? People that have laid down their lives. People that could have had fun things to do, but they didn't do them because they were with you. I'm not trying to throw a guilt thing on you today. I'm trying to say that there's things to be done. What part of the story will we, will we play? Will we play the story of those that came in to the land of milk and honey and they forgot God because they had nice places to live? Because they had vineyards to reap that they didn't plant. Is that what we're going to become, church? Will we be empty like this church was empty? Sitting alone, the piano that here, sitting here for years with no one playing it, made before the Civil War. No worship was done on it. The bell that was made to ring out the gospel news that church was going to begin was falling through the roof. Is that what Foundation Church will become when we all grow up and we learn how to be good Americans? When we learn how to have fun? When we learn how to enjoy ourselves? And Is that what it will be? Or will we be the people of God that, we, that become poor, that others might become rich? That lose our clothes so that others can have clothes? that go out into the highways and byways and compel the people to come in, that, our, that the house of God might be full. Look at the empty chairs. Why do we not want to fill them? Why are we not having people over at our homes from our communities and, and talking to them about God's Word? Why are we not searching for these people who don't have shepherds? And bringing them into the safe and beautiful place that you come every week where people love you. People care for you and look after you. Has God done all this good for us? For us to just eat it and keep it and grow fat and be like those that they lamented of. The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest that He would send laborers. I pray you would be those laborers. I'd love it if my children lived next to me, but if I never saw one of them again. And they went out to the far corners of the world and they worked in places where no one knew it and they didn't take Facebook pictures so you could see what they were doing. I wouldn't care. I wouldn't, I'd miss you, Rebek. But I didn't raise God's child for me. I raised them for the, for the lost for the dying, for the hurting, for the poor, for the hungry. Because Jesus said that's what He came to do, right? He came to preach deliverance to the captives, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus, when He died, He said He rose from the dead, and He says, now all power is given to Me in heaven and earth. Now go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all these things that I have commanded. For lo, I am with you to the end of the earth, to the end of the age. Is that who Foundation Church has become? 
Are we becoming another club? God forbid it. Lord, disband it. Lord, let us not be the story of the people that God gave so much that we did so little with. But let us be the people that had so little that gave all of it to God. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for filling me with this passion. Thank you for reminding me what my life was filled with for years. Lord, speak to your people. Lord, our blessings are so difficult for us, Lord. Maybe we need to lose them. Our lives are so easy and so comfortable. We forget you, Lord. Maybe, maybe you should make them difficult. Lord, I, I don't want to be that part of the story. I don't want to be those that have forgotten you, Lord. I don't want to be those who heap to myself more and more. Oh, God. Lord, help us. Lord, we are weak and infirmed, O oh God. And for some reason, we long for the flesh pots of Egypt. Oh God, take us to the mountain with you, Lord God. In the thick blackness of the smoke, let us see your word, O oh God. Let us quake and tear at it, O oh God. And let us delight in your laws. Let us fear you and not man. Let us do your will and not our own. Lord, delight in us, your people, Lord. If you have to make us suffer to do it, Lord, please bring suffering upon us, O oh God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.